Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. I was starting to get a little bit worried. I'm going to be honest. I was getting worried that maybe there's a Daniil Medvedev bias on this show. That that we're being hard on the guy. I mean, I felt bad. Two finals in a row, he loses. And this is what we do on the show. We take the final on Sunday. We analyze it on Monday. And here I am picking apart the poor guy. He's doing nothing but winning. But finally, it's happened. He's won his first Masters 1000 at Cincinnati. Beat Djokovic in the semi in the semifinal, beat Gafan in the final, and Daniil Medvedev uh, is a champion. So we get to talk about the things he does well instead of completely picking apart the weaknesses of the 21-year-old Russian. So we'll get into the final. I, I'm not sure how much I'm going to go back and talk about the semifinal, maybe in the comment response. I mean... There's still uh, plenty to talk about there. And uh, U.S. Open Power Rankings. But then, for the first time in three weeks, we'll have comment response once again. I, I miss talking to, to the people of this YouTube channel, which is uh, m makes us tick here. Makes me tick. And it's been too long since we've caught up. We've had a heart-to-heart. -heart, and uh, we've, we've gone over some things. So I'm super excited to uh, do some comment response at the end of this. But let's talk about the final. I'll start by just kind of going through it. Neither player was starting off with their best stuff. Probably both players had an opportunity to get off to an early lead with the way their opponents were playing. But Medvedev was missing a fair bit of routine forehands. And Gafan was playing quite passively, which is not Gafan's game. I mean, he he likes to go very close to the line. He likes to go down the line often, which uh, I'm going to get into and talk about. Um, and neither player really really uh, found it. Goes to a tie break. Gafan actually went down a break. Did a nice job to get back. It goes to a tie break. And where Gafan will be biting himself, what, what was the turning point of the match was at the beginning of the tiebreak, or two of the first five points, both were drop shot cat and mouse points. One where Medvedev got to the drop shot, Gafan followed the drop shot in. He's up a mini break, one love, and has the whole court to volley into. And just doesn't get enough height on the volley. It hits the net cord and Medvedev puts away the volley. But it would have been a winner. Should have been a winner. Should have been very easy for David Gafan. And then a little bit later in the tie break, Medvedev tried another drop shot. And Gafan was in there plenty of time. He, he got to use his forehand grip. It was hip height. Medvedev was a sitting duck at the net. And he just instead he just guides it down the line and Medvedev puts away the volley. So there were two chances for Gafan inside the service line with relatively easy opportunities where he, instead of winning the point, gives up, gave up mini breaks. Uh, the other thing that happened in that tie break is Medvedev stepped up the returning. And I want to take a deeper look into that with uh, some screenshots. That's our thumbnail, Daniil Medvedev. It was very humid in Cincinnati, so give the fans a break for, uh, for leaving not staying for Daniil Medvedev's photo shoot. But uh, there he is, folks. Nice trophy in Cincinnati. So I was saying, the uh, the returning. But in order to really look into uh, 
some of the ways that Medvedev stepped up his returning, we actually have to go back to the 5-6 game at 30-all. So let's go back to this point. This is a second serve. Of course, uh, Gafan missed a 115-mile-per-hour first serve, and Medvedev is deep in the court, so Gafan is going to slice it out wide, try to get Medvedev off the court. And because of Medvedev's court position, the slice serve is going to actually work. It's going to pull Medvedev off the court. Daniil goes cross-court, and this is what Gafan's so good at. Gafan is good at taking time away and going down the line, redirecting. Great timing. I mean, he's got some of the best timing on tour. So he is going to try to time this forehand down the line. There he is at contact, putting everything into it. Medvedev isn't recovered. He has to retreat even further because now he's really on defensive mode. Even though, I mean, it, it was a little short, but it, it wasn't terrible. It was really his court position that's uh, getting him into trouble. And Gafan finishes this forehand down the line. Medvedev actually did get a racket on this, but then uh, he just popped it up and then challenged, but it was in. So Medvedev loses that point. Now we skip ahead to one all in the tiebreak. And keep in mind, on the previous point, Gafan had that easy volley that he didn't put away. So now, one all tiebreak, it's another second serve. This time Gafan missed 125 first serve. And I don't know why this screenshot is a little bit messed up, but Gafan is going to hit this second serve and look how much closer in Medvedev is to the baseline. He's way in compared to let's go back on this 5-6 point. This is where he is. So he's maybe 5-6 feet in front of where he played the last 30 all point. And not only that, Gafan has in his mind, last time I had a second serve on the deuce side, I was able to get Medvedev way, way off the court. So let me go for the same serve. Let me try it again. And I was thinking to myself, I bet Gafan goes wide here. Medvedev must have been thinking the same thing because he was right on this. Second serve comes. Medvedev cuts off the angle. It's out wide again, but he cuts off the angle, takes this forehand aggressively down the line, and Gafan can do nothing but get a racket on it just barely and pop it up wide. So, here's what's important. Medvedev is thinking the game, and he's giving he's giving his opponent different looks, and it's something that for sure was, was a big topic in the Djokovic match, how he gave Djokovic different looks on the return, uh, hit a big return winner in that Djokovic match to, to win the, um, to win the second set or to get the break in the second set. And he did the same thing in this match. Also in the Djokovic match, he decided to go for way more on his serve. That's an adjustment. That's thinking the game for Medvedev. It's not that he should return further up because returning back, it, he gets more returns in play and he's able to play to his strengths. And, uh, I think that. It's very, you know, he gets every return back in play back there, which is a great weapon to have. And he returns the kick serve probably better, kick serve to his backhand. It's not that he should be up every point, but he should be mixing it up. And that's what he did here. Medvedev wins the tiebreak. Great returning throughout, and Gafan missed his opportunity on those cat-mouse points. Then in the second set, Medvedev does a really good job of understanding this is the most important part of the match. It is hot, it is humid, 
And if I can play my best tennis right here, right now, I'm going to run away with this second set. And that's what Medvedev seemingly continues to do. And it's not a coincidence. Players play Medvedev very close in the first set. And then they completely go away in the second set because it's an extremely physical proposition playing Daniil Medvedev, who's willing to play long rallies and gets so many balls in the court and never gives you a miss. Medvedev goes into can't-miss mode in the beginning of the second set, and it completely breaks Gafan. Gafan makes tons of errors in the beginning of the second set, and Medvedev goes up a break, and that's pretty much, that's pretty much the end of it. Medvedev starts serving really well, too, towards the middle of the second set, and until the end of the set, where Medvedev's trying to serve it out, he doesn't face any pressure. It looks like he's going to pretty comfortably go ahead and win the second set. But what happens? Gafan actually plays some of his best tennis, wins some long rallies, gets some looks at some second serves, makes some returns, and has double break point. 15-40. We could go back on serve. And four points in a row, just like the Djokovic match, Medvedev simply erases Gafan's opportunities with his serve. Simply erases them. So another stunning clutch serving performance at the end of the match by Medvedev, just like he did in the semifinal. What makes Medvedev so difficult? Well, Gafan doubled the number of errors that Medvedev hit in this match. Medvedev hit 14. Most of them were in the first set, not in the second. And Gafan hit 28. First of all, it seemed like Gafan just didn't have the firepower to really hurt Medvedev in this matchup as much as he needed to. Medvedev's more consistent. He's got more ability to, to, to defend. He's got higher shot tolerance. So Gafan really needed to find ways to finish points, and that's what he just couldn't seem to do. He did some good things, right? Like the short slice, the backhand slice. Every coach on tour tells players when they're playing Medvedev, slice cross-court to his backhand, then attack the next ball. I swear every coach must say that because there are guys like Gafan who almost never slice their backhand who get on the court against Medvedev and all of a sudden slice, slice, slice. So clearly that's kind of a game plan. The whole tour knows to do that. The problem is Medvedev's very comfortable just saying, oh, you're going to slice it? Okay, I can't hurt you, but I'll just trade cross court, do something about it. Some players can do a lot of damage running around the backhand and hitting a big forehand. Some players can... Um, can do some other things, players with more firepower. But Gafan, he could execute that, but he just couldn't seem to hit the next ball in a way that really hurt Medvedev. He did it a couple times with his backhand down the line, but not consistently enough. So that's how what I'll say about the matchup. And some people I saw saying during this match, well, Medvedev has such a well-rounded game. I still don't think so. I still think there are tons of weaknesses. If you've watched Monday Match Analysis the last two weeks, you'll know that there's there's holes. There's holes. But Medvedev has mastered, mastered at 21 freaking years of age, mastered the most 
basic meat and potatoes, simplest parts of tennis, which is your cross-court baseline trading game. A couple ingredients go into that. A couple ingredients. One, your directionals. Why is a player like Medvedev going to be more consistent than Gafan? The first thing you need to look at is the directionals. And Medvedev, because he's so fit and because he's so comfortable playing long rallies, can play with extremely safe directionals. And that means how often are you going cross-court? How often are you going down the line? When you go cross-court, you hit over the shorter part of the net and you have much more court to hit into. The ball travels a further distance, which means uh, it travels over a larger chunk of court, which means there's a much bigger target in terms of hitting the blue stuff instead of the green stuff. Very simple. When you go down the line, the net is higher and there's less court. And oftentimes when you're going down the line, you're actually changing direction, which makes it even more difficult to do more difficult to time and more likely that you're not going to miss with height and depth and you're actually even going to miss maybe with width. Medvedev is so comfortable hitting cross court and so patient. That's where it starts. Medvedev's consistency starts with the mind. It starts with the shot selection and that comes from the fitness body and mind connected. Medvedev's willing to go cross-court. Gafan, and this is part of what makes Gafan great. It's part of what makes him a really great player. But it's also part of why he'll always make more, more errors than Medvedev. is because he, he's constantly trying to go down the line. And it's harder to do. So first, directionals with Medvedev. He has just mastered his consistent cross-court trading. What makes good trading? It's all about unattackability. So what are the ingredients of unattackability? It's most, it mostly has to do with depth. That's why Djokovic is so, is, is so good at trading cross court is because he keeps it deep in the court. There's nothing there's when it comes to a ball that is attackable, you normally it's cause it's short in the court, unless it's an absolute floater. The ball's deep, you're safe. It's a hard ball to attack. Plain and simple. So Medvedev is so good with his depth, but his ball also stays very low, which also makes it harder to attack. Consistent, deep, cross-court trading. So difficult to deal with. Why? Because if you're a player like Kafan, you are looking to finish the point and you can't find any way to do that. You're not finding routes to do it. Medvedev won that second set. You think Medvedev hit a lot of winners? No. Medvedev has won sets, has been serving up breadsticks over the course of the last three weeks consistently. You think when Medvedev wins 6-1, it's because he's hitting a bunch of winners on his return games? He's not. What's happening? His opponent's making errors because he's trading cross-court with unattackable balls and his opponents don't know how to win the point. Am I going to change line? Am I going to try to, am I going to try to go for more on a ball that normally I wouldn't try to attack? What's going to happen? Errors. 
Am I just going to be patient and trade cross-court? Well, now you're playing right into his game. Medvedev has better cardio. He's more consistent. He's not going to be the first one to miss. You're not going to outlast him. And that's not a path to victory either. Very important point. You don't necessarily have to win a point. You just can't lose it. Spanish mentality. Spanish, Spanish coaching. And then the last point I want to make before I go to the U.S. Open Power Rankings and comment response is this. You look at the most successful players, or you look at the most, let, let's, let's do it reverse, the most consistent players on tour in the last decade. Who are they? Andy Murray, never missed, mastered his cross-court trading from the baseline. Novak Djokovic doesn't miss, especially in big moments. For all these guys, this is true, especially in big moments. Novak Djokovic doesn't miss, mastered his cross-court trading. Rafa Nadal doesn't really miss, beginning to adapt, beginning to play more aggressively, but the vintage Rafa Nadal never misses, doesn't miss. No gifts, mastered cross-court trading. Now, are those the only guys? No, David Ferrer. Mastered it. Cross-court trading. Who else was were some of the most consistent players on tour? Those were the guys. Gilles Simone, he didn't miss a lot, but had almost no firepower to back it up. So it happens, but normally, and even, even Simone made the top 10. It was a top 10 player. If you master your cross-court trading to a point where you never miss and you keep it deep in the court, you're very unattackable. And for that, you need great patience and you need great fitness. You're going to be elite. Is Medvedev well-rounded? No. But the meat and potatoes base, basis of baseline tennis, of baseline rallying, is your cross-court trading, which Medvedev has mastered. And if you can master that, you're probably going to be in the top 10. And if you can support it with other abilities and skills then you have the chance to be special. Medvedev, six foot six. He can bomb his serve. That's what we've seen this week. We've seen it before this week. But he's even raised his level on his serving this week. He can bomb his serve. He's six foot six. Nothing else about him is six foot six. But there's kind of that other weapon. His big serve. So this is what makes Medvedev special. He grinds like he's 5'10". He serves like he's six foot six. It's incredible. All right. U.S. Open power rankings. Glad we gave Medvedev his due there. Um, this is what they looked like on August 12th, last week. And this is what they look like today. A little bit of movement, but honestly, not all that much because at since Cincinnati was a weird tournament, a lot of surprises, and a lot of players went deep in Cincinnati who I don't think will go deep in the U.S. Open. Um, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer doesn't change their top three. Medvedev overtakes Dominic Thiem. Um, this is this was a pretty much a no-brainer. Now the power rankings, I, I base it on results. I don't I don't use a lot of personal. I, I try to kind of take my own opinions out of it. So so that's a no-brainer in that case. Who's going to do better in New York? That's an interesting question. But who should be higher in the power rankings? Easy, Medvedev. 
Oh, and that should say that should be a five next to Medvedev's name, not a six, because he was fifth. Yeah, he was fifth last week, and now he's fourth. Kanish Corey stays at number six. He was he was ill. He pulled out. So I he if I moved him down, someone behind him would have had to have a great tournament for me to move Nishikori down. That didn't happen. Bautista Agut he gets to move up. Uh, lost to. Um, who did he lose to? I'm totally blanking. Um, but he made the quarterfinals. Let me check real quick. I remember he made the quarterfinals. And he lost to Gaz K, right. You know, so Gaz K is a guy, right? So he, he makes the semifinal. I mean, he's not... He, he shouldn't be in this top 10, even though he made the semifinal. I mean, and I... It's lovely to see him back, coming back from injury and playing great tennis. He's got another one of these gorgeous games, and uh, he's been on tour for so long, so talented, so great to see him back. Bautista Agut moves up. Tsitsipas moves down one. He's got no form whatsoever right now. But, uh, you know, he's got to find himself. He's got work to do. Hatchinov has put together a couple of good weeks, a couple of good weeks in a row. Lost to Luca Pui this week. So he enters the rankings, comes in at number nine. And Monfils moves down from eight to ten. He lost in the first round straight sets to Francis TFO. So that's a little update on our U.S. Open power rankings. The plan for the U.S. Open preview. I got to wait until the draw comes out. Um, and once it does, there will either be a video. Does it come out on Thursday or Friday? I don't remember, but uh, there will be a video um, afterwards. By the way, this will be the last Monday match analysis in this studio. I got to head back to Syracuse. Always unfortunate because I know that this is this is the best best setup I have. Let us not delay and let us go to comment response 22 minutes into this video. Uh, maybe I'll go, depending on how good the questions remain, maybe I'll go from to the 35-ish minute mark the uh top liked comment is gold wolf i will somewhat censor it for everyone's sanity i've been hearing novak novak's elbow when medvedev was the one who was clearly injured calling for the trainer uh do you think the djokovic fans are scared because rafa who wasn't even playing that well bageled Medvedev on a slower surface that helps Medvedev, while on a faster surface that hurts Medvedev, he took out their master who was on fire. First of all, I think Medvedev appreciates fast courts a lot, so I don't agree with that. Because on fast courts, there's, there's more to his game offensively, and he definitely likes a lower bouncing court, which Cincinnati certainly is, because that way his ball can, you know, the effect of his kind of flat, backhand which can really slice through the court uh he he he'll, he appreciates a fast court for that on a slower court he's be, has to be a little bit more of a grinder and then of course on a court like cincinnati he gets more out of his big serve so i think he likes a faster court um when it comes to to the disparity though in terms of how easily Nadal beat Medvedev the week prior and then what happened with Djokovic. I think that that is a good thing to talk about because I saw that a lot. I saw a lot of people bringing that up. Well, uh, I think that there it can't be argued that Medvedev is a much tougher matchup for Djokovic than he is Nadal. It's mostly due to 
when when Medvedev trades his backhand cross court, which I just talked about at ad nauseum, Nadal can take a ball that's normally unattackable and can still attack it with how big and how much firepower is in his lefty forehand. Whereas Djokovic kind of has a similar backhand to Medvedev and it cancels each other out. With that being said, I think Djokovic looked good all throughout Cincinnati and I think he played somewhat well in that semifinal match. I think he played very well in the semifinal match. So I wouldn't be really worried if I were a fan of Novak Djokovic. Uh, I feel, I don't think Djokovic was concerned at all with his own performance, and you could tell by his reaction when he lost the match. He he kind of made a face and was like, mm, gave the thumbs up to Medvedev, was like, wow, I mean, that was really impressive, and I don't think Djokovic thinks there is much he could have done. If it were a best-of-five set match, the the serving level most certainly would have, dro- would have dropped from Daniil Medvedev. The biggest regret that Djokovic should have was dropping his serve at the beginning of the third set um, because he, he made errors in that game, and that was a needless break of serve that he awarded Medvedev. So that was where, where Djokovic tripped up. But in terms of breaking Medvedev's serve, there was no way Djokovic w- was, could have done it with the level that Medvedev was serving, and there was nothing Djokovic really could have done after playing that loose game in the beginning of the third set. Um, so I think matchup plays in, and I also think Medvedev and what, what, what Medvedev was able to do plays in, um, against Djokovic because it looked like Djokovic was going to win that match pretty routine and Medvedev pulled out something magical. He, he just did. So I think Nadal looked good in Montreal. I think Djokovic looked good in Cincinnati. I wouldn't read too much into the Medvedev result, uh, being too different. The next comment is from Jose Moreno, who will have a better U.S. Open, Dominic Team or Daniil Medvedev? Um, well, I think I still think that Team has a larger chance of upsetting a member of the big three. I think Nadal is a difficult matchup for Team, even though Team has had some success against Nadal in best of three on clay courts. Uh, I think Nadal is a somewhat difficult matchup, but other than that, I do think that Dominic Team has a much better chance. Uh, with with his game than uh, Daniil Medvedev has of upsetting a member of the big three. For that reason, I actually think Dominic Thiem has a better chance of winning the entire tournament. I still think, and the Djokovic match doesn't change this, um, I still think that when Medvedev is playing normal and not whatever the heck that was against Djokovic in the semifinal, when Medvedev is playing at his normal level, his regular level, I still think that Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, all in their unique ways, can take advantage of the holes that Medvedev has in his game. His weaker second serve, his lacking of good, um, consistent offense from his midcourt forehand, his discomfort at the net, his inability to hit um, consistently strong passing shots. There's a couple more, but let's not belabor it. I think those sets of weaknesses, I think Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, in their unique ways, all are able to take advantage of certain aspects of those weaknesses. Djokovic probably has the most difficult time, 
but uh, he was even winning the long baseline rallies in that match against Cincinnati. And the U.S. Open is a slower court. Djokovic would be getting more returns in play. And he would get best of five, which certainly helps Novak. Dominic Team, on the other hand, is a good matchup against Novak Djokovic. Djokovic's depth doesn't bother him as much as it bothers most players on tour because Team can really just take a step back um, and use his strength and his power. He is becoming scarily consistent, Dominic Team, for how big he hits the ball. Nadal, he's had success against pinning Nadal in his backhand corner with with Team's big forehand on that cross court pattern. Team can have a lot of success, and Federer. He beat earlier this year on the court that's probably one of the most similar courts to the U.S. Open, Indian Wells. So the answer to the question is Dominic Thiem. I think he's got a better chance than Medvedev, which at this time is probably an unpopular opinion. The next comment is from Nikhil Tanwar. Um, there are two from him, so I'm just going to knock both of them out. Um, he linked to a video at the beginning of 2018. This is before Monday Match Analysis even existed. Um, but this channel did exist um, where Federer had just won his 20th Australian Open and I called Federer the greatest of all time just in passing. I didn't make an argument. I just said number 20 for the greatest of all time. Um, so the question is, do you still think he is the GOAT currently? Um, and I will not ask you who will end as the GOAT, but he's asking, do I think right now he's the GOAT? The, the answer, um, first of all, this was at a time where I was spread a little bit more thin following other sports um, and a little bit less in tune with, with the tennis community. And Federer was off this you know, crazy 2017, starts off 2018 winning Australian Open. Um, so, you know, I, I said that, I, I wouldn't say that right now. <laughs> what I said in the beginning of 2018, I wouldn't say it right now. Um, but if they all stopped playing, what would probably end up happening, the, the, the most, I would say, the most logical conclusion is Djokovic has the highest level ever, Nadal's the best clay court ever, and Federer with his longevity has the best resume and is the most accomplished and achieved player ever. So the word greatest is such a, such a vague term, greatest, that it's really... Uh, it's really hard. So if you, if you're asking me who the goat is right now, I still don't have an answer. Still don't have an answer. Um, and then his other thing is Gil, um, as per me, you are the best, uh, compared to others that talks about tennis on YouTube. Thank you. But you are not totally unbiased. I have found in many cases that you take credit away from Nadal. Is not is Nadal the least preferred among big big three for you in general? No. So the answer to this question is no. Um, I have so much so much respect and admiration uh, for Nadal as one of the hardest working players on tour. Someone who is very likable as a person, extraordinarily humble and professional, and goes does 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 everything right. So no, is the answer. You didn't put in, he didn't put in his reasons for why he thinks I, I uh, take credit away from Nadal or discredit Nadal. But um, I remember some of the, some of the things that he's wrote. Nikhil seems like a, like a nice guy in my opinion, but, but he's incredibly sensitive <laughs> in my opinion as well. So 
Uh, he said, well, you said Del Potro was tired in the U.S. Open quarterfinal. I still think that. I still think he was tired. So then he said, "Team, you said team was tired in the final this year. I said team was t tired after Nadal went up two sets to one. I still think he didn't play well in the fourth set. Nadal was up. It probably had no effect on the match. Nadal was up two sets to one. And I said team played awful in the fourth set and looked tired. So I don't like Nadal. I mean, it's crazy. And then um, I covered Cincinnati more heavily than I covered Montreal because I was in L.A. for um, Montreal. And I was here at home with my studio where I can actually make videos for Cincinnati. And that's why I covered Cincinnati more. So um, in 2017, towards the uh, in the tail end, or, or in 2018, rather, in 2018, I should say, I was mostly accused of being a Nadal fan. And this year, I'm mostly accused of being a Djokovic fan. So it's changed. Don't know why that is. I probably, I mean, there are probably reasons, but we won't get into it. Uh, 33 mark. Let's go to 35. Let's try to do these a little bit quicker. Do you think that the U.S. Open is the best tournament for a next-gen to win its first Grand Slam? I do think it's the best tournament. I don't know if this is the best. I don't know if it's going to happen in 2019, but I think the U.S. Open is when there's a lot of injury problems and uh, physicality is a huge advantage with the heat, the humidity at the end of the calendar. And I think the older players, I think Nadal struggles with this. I think Federer struggles with this. Um, and I don't know about Djokovic, but for Djokovic, I think the court surface is a little bit slow for him. And I think Djokovic is increasing, increasingly becoming stronger on faster courts. So I do think it's the best chance for other players. Uh, Vance Vermani, do you think Medvedev will continue to be a problem for Djokovic throughout the rest of his career? Also, what are what are some reasons why it's tougher for Medvedev to beat Nadal and Federer? Nadal and Federer are able to have easier times generating offense against Medvedev. Nadal, it's mainly because of his forehand and how he can attack Medvedev's cross-court backhand. For Federer, it's the well-roundedness. Short slice to Medvedev's backhand. Federer can come in behind that, make Medvedev pass him. Federer can use drop shots often to draw Medvedev to the net. Federer can um, do so many different things. And, you know, of course, also use the forehand. Take time away from Medvedev, hit short angle like Nadal. By the way, one thing I forgot to mention, I, it just popped into my mind. Um, Gafan was not targeting Medvedev's forehand enough. Righties need to understand. They need to get rid of their normal pattern of thinking, which is attack the righty backhand, and they need to try to go out of their way to hit it to Medvedev's forehand more. In Terry and Terry is the next comment. Um, Hi, my friend. Medvedev is a super ball machine. Who do you have as the fourth favorite U.S. Open um, after the big three? For me personally, it would be crazy not to have Medvedev in that fourth place. What about you? Do you not have him in your fourth place? Um, as as I said, I don't have him in my, in my as my fourth favorite because I think that in best of five format, uh, Dominic Team is more likely to beat Nadal, Djokovic, or Federer than Medvedev. I just don't see it, to be honest. Best of five against the big three right now, I don't see Medvedev uh, coming through. And then Amelia B, this is the last one. I'll, I'll do two more. Amelia, um, Amalia, rather, not Amelia. Amalia says, do you think Medvedev will be 100% energy health? 
I would think so. By the way, I should acknowledge this incredible display of fitness for Medvedev in the last three weeks. He, I think he only had four off days in the last three plus weeks. What a fit player. And the long rallies he plays, unbelievable. What do you make of Djokovic's recent return of an elbow problem? Do you think that could blow up to be another terrible injury like he did in 2017? Or do you believe this will pass? I'm not concerned about Djokovic's elbow. If Djokovic were concerned about his elbow, he would have pulled out of the semifinal. There's no chance he would have played against Medvedev if he thought that that could be a problem. The priorities are the major. The fact that Djokovic played that match means that he's probably not very concerned, so I'm not either. That's all I got. Ready for the uh, lookout, rather, for the U.S. Open preview. That's going to be very exciting. It's almost time to New York, for, for New York. I can't wait. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.